This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of sickle cell anemia from the basic science section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Sickle cell disease is a common genetic disorder of abnormal hemoglobin synthesis that causes affected blood cells to become sickle-shaped with an inability to pass through blood vessels efficiently. Patients present with severe bone pain, acute hand swelling, and osteonecrosis. Diagnosis is made with hemoglobin electrophoresis. Treatment is medical management with hydroxyurea for sickle cell crises and monitoring for developing of osteonecrosis and osteomyelitis. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, in terms of incidence, approximately 2 million Americans carry the sickle cell gene, and specifically 1 in 12 African Americans. Moving on to etiology, there are two forms of sickle cell, sickle cell anemia and sickle cell trait. Sickle cell anemia involves the presence of two abnormal hemoglobin S alleles, and this is the more severe form. Sickle cell trait involves a single copy of the abnormal hemoglobin gene. These patients are usually asymptomatic, however there may be an increased risk of sudden death with exertion due to collapse. These patients respond early to oxygen, rest, and hydration. Sickle cell trait is more common than sickle cell anemia. The pathophysiology of sickle cell anemia Under low oxygen conditions, the affected blood cells become sickle-shaped and are unable to pass through vessels efficiently. Orthopedic manifestations of sickle cell anemia include sickle cell crisis, which we'll talk more about in a moment, osteomyelitis, septic arthritis, osteonecrosis of the femoral and humeral heads, bone infarcts, skeletal immaturity, and dactylitis, which is acute hand-slash-foot swelling. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include a standard AP and lateral of the involved area. As far as findings, bone infarcts are common, and you may also find biconcave, quote, fishtail vertebra. An MRI is recommended for differentiating bone infarction from osteomyelitis. Be sure to obtain gadolinium-enhanced T1 sequences, which will identify infection. Finally, a bone scan may help differentiate an infarct from infection. As far as general studies to obtain, in terms of labs, Be sure to obtain serum labs like CBC, ESR, and CRP, which may be elevated in both osteomyelitis and sickle cell crisis. You may also obtain joint aspiration and culture, which may be necessary to determine if the diagnosis is osteomyelitis or sickle cell crisis. The presentation of sickle cell crisis involves severe bone pain, usually begins near age 2 to 3 years, it is caused by substance P, and may lead to bone infarcts. Non-operative treatment of sickle cell crisis is hydroxyurea, which provides pain relief during bone crisis. As far as osteomyelitis in the setting of sickle cell anemia, this is often seen in the diaphysis. And in terms of organism, keep in mind that there is an increased incidence of salmonella in sickle cell patients, as this may spread from a gallbladder infection. Staph aureus and salmonella are the most common organisms causing osteomyelitis in children with sickle cell disease, although it's unclear which is more common. Remember that salmonella osteomyelitis occurs most commonly in children with sickle cell disease. In terms of imaging, radionucleotide bone scan and radionucleotide bone marrow scan can differentiate a bone infarct from osteomyelitis. Remember that osteomyelitis will have a normal marrow uptake with an abnormal bone scan, while an infarct will have decreased marrow uptake and an abnormal bone scan. As far as evaluation, you can aspirate and culture these patients to differentiate from a bone infarct. Moving on to septic arthritis, sickle cell patients are susceptible to infection due to hyposplenia, sluggish circulation, and decreased opsonization of bacteria. The presentation of septic arthritis in sickle cell anemia includes bone pain and fever. 
Labs may reveal elevated ESR and CRP. As far as studies, be sure to aspirate the joint and culture to identify the organism. Treatment will be irrigation and debridement, and consider preoperative oxygenation and exchange transfusion prior to surgery. Now let's talk about avascular necrosis of the femoral head. Osteonecrosis of the femoral head can be bilateral in sickle cell disease. To learn more about hip osteonecrosis, be sure to look out for the Hip Osteonecrosis podcast episode or review the topic on orthobullets.com or the Bullets app. As far as presentation of avascular necrosis of the femoral head, these patients tend to have hip pain with weight-bearing. Treatment can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes partial weight-bearing and range of motion, and this is indicated as the initial treatment. Operative options include total hip arthroplasty, which is indicated for failed non-operative management and in the setting of intractable pain. As far as outcomes, results of total joint arthroplasty are poor due to ongoing remodeling of the bone. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. You are the team physician for a collegiate football team and receive weekly injury reports from the athletic trainer. All players with sickle cell trait are listed at the bottom to remind all on-field personnel that they may need which of the following. And the choices are 1. Oxygen supplementation and oral or IV hydration. 2. Additional layers of warm clothes. 3. Increased pain medication. 4. Avoidance of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medicines. And 5. Days of rest due to increased joint pain. The correct answer to this question is 1. Oxygen supplementation and oral or IV hydration. So players with a blood test indicating the presence of sickle cell trait are at risk for exertional sickling collapse, which responds initially to rest, hydration, and oxygen. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, additional layers of warm clothes, is incorrect as there is no research to support need for warmer clothes and keep in mind that cases occur year-round. Answer 3, increased pain medication, and 5, days of rest due to increased joint pain is incorrect as these are typical of sickle cell disease, not sickle cell trait. Finally, answer 4, avoidance of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medicines is incorrect, as this is important in patients with renal impairment, which is not typically seen in sickle cell trait. To quickly review, sickle cell trait is not a disease, but a condition resulting from inheritance of one gene for sickle hemoglobin, or S, and one gene for normal hemoglobin, or A. The vital concern is exertional sickling collapse, which can be fatal, occurs in a variety of sports, and is the leading cause of death in college football. According to the review by Eichner, sickling collapse is an intensity-associated syndrome that differs from the other common causes of collapse. The best approach in college football may be tailored precautions to prevent sickling collapse and enables athletes with sickle cell trait to thrive. Other clinical concerns in sickle cell trait are compartment syndromes and lumbar myonecrosis, splenic infarction, gross hematuria, hyposthenuria, and venous thromboembolism. Kark et al. reviewed all cases of sudden death occurring among 2 million enlisted recruits during basic training in the U.S. Armed Forces from 1977 to 1981. They concluded that recruits in basic training with the sickle cell trait have a substantially increased age-dependent risk of exercise-related sudden death unexplained by any known pre-existing cause. Moving on to the next question. A 28-year-old African-American male with a history of sickle cell disease complains of progressive left hip pain for the past two years. He denies any causative injuries. An AP pelvis shows left hip osteonecrosis, and a T2 coronal MRI also confirms left hip osteonecrosis. 
which of the following mechanisms is most likely responsible for his symptoms? And the choices are 1. Blood disorder due to abnormal hemoglobin S alleles. 2. Progressive slippage of the physis through the hypertrophic zone. 3. Osteomyelitis, most likely due to salmonella species. 4. Accumulation of glycosaminoglycan breakdown products. And 5. Collagen 5A1 or collagen 5A2 mutation. The correct answer to this question is 1. Blood disorder due to abnormal hemoglobin S alleles. So the clinical presentation and images described are most consistent with left hip osteonecrosis as a result of coagulation and vascular occlusion caused by sickle cell anemia. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, progressive slippage of the physis through the hypertrophic zone, is incorrect as progressive slippage of the physis through the hypertrophic zone describes slipped capital femoral epiphysis. Answer 3, osteomyelitis, most likely due to salmonella species, is incorrect, as the radiographs described are most consistent with osteonecrosis of the femoral head. However, there is an increased incidence of salmonella osteomyelitis in patients with sickle cell disease, but Staphylococcus aureus is still the most common organism. Answer 4, accumulation of glycosaminoglycan breakdown products, is incorrect, as this describes lysosomal disorders. Finally, answer 5, collagen 5A1 and collagen 5A2 mutation is incorrect, as this describes the mutation of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. To quickly review, sickle cell disease is a genetic disorder of hemoglobin synthesis characterized by two abnormal hemoglobin S alleles. Under low oxygen conditions, the affected blood cells become sickle-shaped and are unable to pass through vessels. This results in vascular occlusion that may have a variety of clinical consequences depending on the body part affected. Hernigou et al. reviewed the natural history of symptomatic osteonecrosis in adults with sickle cell disease. Once symptomatic, osteonecrosis of the hip in sickle cell disease has a high likelihood of progressing and leading to femoral head collapse. Deterioration can be rapid, and in most patients, operative intervention is necessary to prevent further collapse or alleviate intractable pain. Mont et al. performed a literature review on the natural history of untreated asymptomatic osteonecrosis of the femoral head. Their findings supported that asymptomatic osteonecrosis had a high prevalence of progression to symptomatic femoral head collapse. Small, medially located lesions had a low rate of progression, while medium to large-sized osteonecrotic lesions did progress in a substantial number of patients. They recommended consideration of joint-preserving surgical treatment in asymptomatic patients with a medium-sized or large laterally located lesion. And moving on to the final question, a 12-year-old boy with sickle cell anemia complains of 24 hours of pain in the right thigh. He denies any traumatic injury. The right leg has tenderness with palpation of the mid-thigh. The patient's temperature is 100.2 degrees Fahrenheit and ESR is 45. Radiographs of the femur are unremarkable. A radionucleotide bone scan demonstrates abnormal uptake in the mid-femur. A radionucleotide bone marrow scan demonstrates decreased uptake within the marrow. Which of the following is the best step in management? And the choices are 1. Symptomatic care for his pain with non-weight-bearing and crutches, intravenous hydration, and consultation with hematology. 2. Steroid injection of the quadriceps. 3. Two weeks of an oral cephalosporin and follow-up radiographs. 4. Bone biopsy for culture and intravenous antibiotics. And 5. Surgical debridement, culture, and intravenous antibiotics. The correct answer to this question is 1. Symptomatic care for his pain with non-weight-bearing and crutches, intravenous hydration, and consultation with hematology. 
So sickle cell crises resulting in bone infarcts can be difficult to differentiate from acute osteomyelitis with physical exam and plain radiographs alone. The child is undergoing a bone infarct as confirmed by his radionucleotide scans. Skaggs et al. reviewed 79 cases of acute extremity pain in sickle cell patients. Radionucleotide bone marrow and bone scan was used to differentiate osteomyelitis from bone infarct. Four cases of infection were diagnosed by normal uptake on the bone marrow scan and abnormal uptake on the bone scan. These cases were confirmed osteomyelitis by positive culture. 70 cases were diagnosed as bone infarct by decreased uptake on the bone marrow scan and abnormal uptake bone scan. Chambers et al. reviewed the charts of 2,000 known sickle cell patients. 14 patients had an episode of osteomyelitis or septic arthritis. Radiographs and bone scans were not helpful in differentiating infection from an acute bone infarct. Salmonella was the most frequent organism cultured from the osteomyelitis cases. The authors recommend bone aspiration or biopsy in a sickle cell patient with extremity pain, swelling, and fever greater than 38.2 degrees Celsius. That's all for this review about sickle cell anemia. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.